Um, so today we're going to get back to talking about one of the most famous teachings of Jesus. A lot of us call it the Sermon on the Mount. And so far, what has happened is Jesus has kind of announced the good news, right? The gospel. And that is that the kingdom of God is coming. And he is here to be the king. And he's talking about some of the kind of strange, um, counterintuitive attitudes and behaviors of the citizens of that kingdom. And he's come to tell us and to show us um, what that looks like and what humans are supposed to be and what we were designed to be in the first place before we got messed up by sin uh, way back in the Garden of Eden. And he's, he is recreating people. He's completely reprogramming broken humans and he's taking us back to the original specifications. You know, it's, it's, it's back to Eden where the human heart was first infected by sin. And he's doing all of that so that we can be citizens in this kingdom of God. And that means more than just us changing our behaviors. Um, it means changing our hearts. And he's making these changes in us from the inside out. So he changes our hearts, our souls, are like the core of our being. And then those changes, as he's doing this work in us, he begins to do this work kind of through us, where he's actually starting to help us exhibit some of these strange attitudes and some of these strange behaviors that look a lot like Jesus. And so now it's not just that we don't murder each other or sleep around or steal each other's stuff. Now we're changed on the inside, so we're living out of the purity that is in us so that we don't want to murder each other. And we don't think about sleeping around and we don't think about stealing each other's stuff. Jesus is really changing us to, to prepare us for the kingdom of God. And he's, he's doing it from the inside out. And so if you're a Jesus follower, you're in this process of him changing you from the inside out. And he's, you're, you're inside what's true about you and this purity that's inside of you is beginning to bleed out kind of into your behaviors and into your actions and your words and your attitudes. And that's all happening through his spirit living in us and through the example that he set for us, and through his teaching. So you with me so far? He's established his kingdom, he's gonna be the king, and he's preparing us to be citizens of that kingdom, and citizens in that kingdom act weird. And so today, Jesus is gonna be teaching us about a really difficult subject, marriage and divorce. And I really prayed about this week, God, is there some way I can just skip this one? You know, because, it's really uncomfortable for everybody. It's really uncomfortable for me. And the more I thought about excuses and ways not to preach this today, the more I realized that if I don't want to talk about it, it probably means we need to talk about it. And so I just appreciate the fact that most of you are just as miserable as I am right now. So let's just dig in in Jesus' name. So here's uh, Jesus talking in Matthew 5.31. He says, You've heard the law that says a man can divorce his wife just by giving her a written notice of divorce. But I say, he keeps doing that, huh? The law says, but I say, right? He's like elevating. He's going deeper. He's going to the heart. That's what the law says. But I say that a man who divorces his wife, unless she's been unfaithful, causes her to commit adultery. And anyone who marries a divorced woman also commits adultery. So divorce is, I'm telling you, a super, super hard subject um, for a couple of reasons. One, I think it's hard emotionally because pretty much everybody in this room has been hurt by divorce. 
but it's not just hard emotionally, it's hard to understand. I mean, as I read the Bible, it's, it's kind of confusing, honestly. I mean, in, on one hand, right, in today's passage, Jesus pretty much says if a divorced woman remarries, then that's the sin of adultery. That's what he said, right? And yet, check out this verse, it's Romans 7, 3, and it says, while her husband's alive, she would be committing adultery if she married another man. But if her husband dies, she's free from that law and doesn't commit adultery when she remarries. So it's a sin for a woman to remarry if she's divorced, but not if her husband dies. The wheels are turning, man. <laughs> Plans are being made even as we sit here right now. So it's like, you see the problem with that, right? So, as I say, it's confusing, huh? I, that, that can't be right. I mean, so if you don't like your husband and you want another one, don't divorce him. <laughs> right? I, that can't be right. I, 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 there's got to be more here, right? That can't be what, this is confusing, huh? Malachi 2, it tells us that God hates divorce. In Ezra 10, God tells his people to go back, go back and divorce their Babylonian wives. It's, it, can we just start today by admitting that divorce is really hard and it's really painful and there aren't super obvious, easy answers in the Bible. Can we start with that? And then now we can go deeper, okay? So now Jesus is gonna go a little further, a little further in Matthew. So Matthew 19, three says, some Pharisees came to Jesus and they tried to trap him with this question. Should a man be allowed to divorce his wife for any good reason? This is a trap. It says that it was a trap. And the reason this was a trap was because of kind of a discussion, like a debate that was going on in Jewish society at that time. There were these two different rabbis, different schools of thought, right? There was one guy named Rabbi Hillel and one guy named Rabbi Shammai. And, and the debate was over this verse, which is Deuteronomy 24.1. I'll put it on the board for you. It says, if a man marries a woman, so this is the law of Moses, this is the Old Testament law, right? If a man marries a woman, but she doesn't please him, here's how we're gonna handle that, it says. Having discovered something wrong with her, he writes a document of divorce, he hands it to her, and he sends her away from his house, and when she leaves the house, she's free to marry another man. So a couple things important to understand about that society, this was 4,000 years ago on the other side of the planet, but in that world, uh, only men could divorce their wives. Women could not divorce their husbands. And number two, this idea of getting the official divorce papers was critical, because a woman could not survive on her own then. A woman couldn't go out and just get a job. There were no jobs for women then. So if a man just throws his wife out and doesn't give her the official written you know, divorce papers, she can't remarry because she's still married technically to him. And so imagine what you, see how cruel that would be for a man to say, just get out of my house and you're not with me anymore. What's gonna happen to her? I mean, she can't get a job. She can't support herself. If she takes kids, she can't support them. And so that means she is going to either starve to death or she's going to become a prostitute. So to give the woman the official written you know, divorce papers was super, super important. Anyway, so that verse is still up there. The argument or the debate between these two rabbis, these two schools of thought was about this part that says, if he finds something wrong with her. So this guy Shammai said that only means if indecency 
is found in her, so that she's been like sexually unfaithful to her husband. That's what he thought that. That's how he read it. And then this guy Hillel said, no, it could be anything. It could be, it could be anything. And if, if anything he doesn't like about it, maybe he just found somebody prettier than her. Maybe she burned the waffles that day, right? Maybe, maybe she was talking on the phone real loud during the Cowboys game, or it could be anything. Anything that displeased him was grounds for divorce. And so it's a trap. There, half people think this and half the people think that. And so they're asking Jesus to answer the question because they know whatever he says, half the people are going to be mad at him. So Matthew 19, 3, they come to Jesus and they, they, they ask this question, should a man be allowed to divorce his wife for any reason? And of course, Jesus does what he always does. Right? He gets like upstream from the actual question. He gets behind the argument and he gets to the heart. And to do that, of course, he goes back, guess where? Where we always go, back to the beginning, back to the creation story. So here's Jesus' answer. They say, should a man be able to divorce? They're asking about divorce. And Jesus says, Matthew 19, 4, haven't you read the scriptures? Jesus replied, they record that from the beginning, God made a male and female. And he said, this explains why a man leaves his father and mother and is joined to his wife. And the two are united into one. And since they're no longer two, but one, let no one split apart what God has joined together. Do you see like a recurring theme there in that it's all about this idea of two things that are similar but different, two things being joined together. It says it over and over, right? Two things joining together, becoming one thing. And what Jesus is doing, they're asking him about divorce, but he answers them about marriage. He's pointing out that God's plan for marriage is when a man and a woman are coming together and being united to the point that they're just, they're just like one person. And the beauty of that in God's eyes is that these two different things, these two different creatures, although they're the same because they're created in God's image, but they're different, and yet they come together in, in, in this this amazing way so that they're connected emotionally and they're connected spiritually and they're connected physically to the point that they become like one person. And he says when that happens, like nothing else matters. They forget about everything else. They leave their mother and father. They're going to do life together. They're going to do family together. They're going to be joined together in this profound, special way physically. And this connection to God is special. This, this connection to God is sacred. It's, it's holy to him. In fact, if you look, when, when, when God created Eve, remember he said, let us create someone who is, in the New Living Translation, it says, who is just right for him. Let us create someone who is just right for him. And this is a Hebrew word, neged. And that word, it's like a mirror image, like they're facing each other. That's what it means. It's a mirror image. If you think about it, when you look in the mirror, what do you see? You see someone that's exactly identical to you, except they're also at the same time the exact opposite of you. And so the idea behind this is that she was specifically what Adam wasn't. And she was exactly what Adam needed. And God brings Eve to Adam, and here, here she is, man. It's this perfect match for him. And Adam says, like, yeah, you know, finally. This is, <laughs> this is a paraphrase, right? Finally, it's like, she's like me. He's been with animals and birds and trees and rocks and mountains, and it's been beautiful, but it's just been him. 
And now here she is, the perfect match, the neged, the perfect match for him. And he's, asking, he's excited. Yeah, this is awesome. Finally, she's like me. He says, she's bone of my bone. She's flesh of my flesh. She's the thing that's been missing from me. She is, she's, she, she, she makes me what I was, she makes me whole. Jerry Maguire fans, what is she saying? Here, she completes me, right? Sign it, let me see. Oh, she was teaching me earlier. Do it again. Yeah. This is you and me, complete. She completes me, right? So they're, they're together. I mean, together in this, like they're working together and they're ruling over everything together and they're eating amazing organic fruit together and they're hanging out <laughs> naked all day. So physically they're together in this amazing, unique way and, and, and they're completely sold out to each other. They're there. They left their mothers and fathers, right? They left the people that gave them life. They, they're so committed to each other. It's like there's nobody else on earth for them. And the word Eden in Hebrew means paradise. That's what it means. And so in God's idea of paradise, a husband and a wife are together in, in every conceivable way. They, they become like they're part of each other. They're super glued together and, and, and this union is sacred and it's holy and it's amazing. So they, they asked about divorce, but Jesus talks about marriage. But then they're not done. These guys are smart and they've got an argument and they ask him a legitimate question. In Matthew 19, seven, they say, okay, well then, why did Moses say in the law that a man could give his wife a written notice of divorce and send her away? That's a pretty good question, right? I mean, it's like, if marriage is so great, how come we need divorce laws? That's, that's a fair question. Because again, Genesis 2, it's paradise, man. It is all beauty and flowers and waterfalls and trying to figure out how to be fruitful and multiply. So how, why would anyone ever leave that? And so in the garden, divorce literally wasn't a thing Right? It wasn't even a concept that ever crossed anybody's mind in the garden. But what's really interesting is, in my Bible, 141 pages later, right? Or in the garden, everything is beautiful. They're together. They're completely together. There's no reason for anybody to want out of that. And now, 141 pages later in Deuteronomy, here's Moses telling us how a man should divorce his wife. And, and, and when it was okay to remarry, after divorce, like we didn't need divorce rules in the garden, so how come we need them now? What changed? What changed in that 141 page? Here we are in the garden, everything's great, everybody loves each other, nobody would ever want out of that, and now 141 pages later, all of a sudden we gotta have all these laws, what, what changed? Sin. Yeah. sin, sin. I'll give you a hint, in case you don't know the answer to that, it's, there you go, right there. And you can see that our media team was paying attention last week when we talked about pornography. Right, that, that's what happened. That, that's, that's what happened. That's what happened in that 141 pages. Sin came into the world and came into the hearts of men. So Jesus replied, this is, this is verse eight, yeah, Moses permitted divorce, but that was only a concession to your hard hearts. But it was not 
what God originally intended. God's original plan was for marriage to be this beautiful covenant relationship between a man and a woman, and it was supposed to be exclusive and permanent and sacred and fruitful and fun and very good. But then sin ruined that. And now selfishness is involved, and now pride is involved, and now lust is involved, and now people are you know, just doing what's best for them or what feels good for them. And so now we actually got to have laws for God's covenant people about how to do divorce right. But I think it's important for us to see this. We didn't need those divorce rules in the beginning, in the garden, before sin came in to the hearts of people. And I think even now, if there was no sin get ready to argue with me. If there was no sin, we wouldn't need divorce rules. If there was no sin, I don't think there would be divorce. If everyone really loved like Jesus, right, which means I'm going to do what's best for you, even at the expense of what's best for me. If we really loved each other like that, if we really honored our covenant to love each other and honor each other and, and take care of each other till death. And if we honor, not just in our actions, if we really honored it that way in our heart, we wouldn't need divorce. Divorce is a product of sin. Adam's sin, humanity's sin, your ex-spouse's sin, and a little bit of our sin. And I think even, even divorced people, everyone I've asked would agree with this. If there was no such thing as sin, if there was no such thing as selfishness or pride or lust or anger or drunkenness, if there was no such thing as breaking promises, then there would be no need for divorce. There'd be no such thing as divorce. So in the garden, the result of sin was death. Remember, God said, if you eat from that tree, you will surely die, right? So the result of sin was death. And remember this, in the ancient Jewish understanding of death, what was it? It was separation. That's how they saw it. They didn't see death as the end of life. They saw death as the separation. It's the separation of the deceased from their family. It's the separation of your body from your soul. Um, in the Garden of Eden, it, it was the spiritual death, right? It was a separation of God from man, and that separation, that death, was the result of their sin. And similarly, divorce is the death of this covenant relationship. It's the separation of what was supposed to be so beautiful. And that death is also the result of sin. So remember, Jesus didn't come to abolish the law. That's what he said. Um, not even this law. Um, and this law is actually necessary because divorce is a reality, because sin is a reality, because human hearts are so hard and so broken and so far from God's original plan. And actually, the question that they're asking Jesus kind of proves that, how hard our hearts have become. Because look at the question they're asking. They're basically saying, I know I made this covenant. What's my out? 
right? I know I made this promise. How can I get out of keeping that promise? What's the least I can do for this woman without God being mad at me, right? What, is my, what line does my spouse have to cross before I am justified in asking for a divorce? And Jesus, again, they're asking about divorce, and he answers about marriage. He, he brings us back to the beginning. He brings us back to the heart with this, with this question. He keeps asking the same question over and over. Where is your heart? So in a perfect world, in a perfect world where people honor their covenants and where people love each other more than they love themselves and where people where people's hearts are pure and soft and good and where Jesus is king and love is the law. In a perfect world, we don't need divorce laws. Is that the world we live in now? No. I'm kinda, kinda, because we keep saying, Christian, as Christians, we have like this weird um, dual citizenship, right? Because we're citizens of God's kingdom. That's our true, ultimate, eternal home, but we're also exiles. So while we're citizens of his kingdom, we're living in this broken world of broken people and hard, broken hearts and broken promises. So Moses said in this world, and Jesus agreed, in this broken world of broken people and broken promises, we need some rules for when the covenants are broken. So in a world of death, we need, to, we need to permit people to admit that something or someone has killed God's covenant that was so holy to him. So like in the case of adultery, right, cheating, that's, that's a spouse killing the covenant, killing the marriage by breaking the covenant that it was based on, right? That's, that's what that is. It's killing that covenant. Um, if your spouse is hitting you or abusing you or abusing your kids, that's, they've broken the covenant that defined this marriage. So the marriage is dead. Now, that's not to say that it can't be resurrected, but just like with any resurrection, a resurrection is by definition a miracle, right? So does it mean it can't be, it doesn't mean it can't be resurrected, but what it does mean is it would take a miracle to resurrect it, and it would probably take two people that really both want that. So yeah, adultery can kill that covenant, and violence like this could kill, abuse could kill that covenant. Um, can you think of any other things in the Bible that like that kill a covenant, that like end the marriage? Um, in 1 Corinthians 7, um, Paul's talking and, and he says, if you're married to an unbeliever that abandons you, then just, you know what? It's okay to let them go. Just let them go. They've killed it. They've killed the covenant. They've abandoned you. They've killed the covenant. Um, in Ezra 10, God's telling his people to divorce themselves from spouses who were causing them to sin against God. So I think there are several ways, biblical ways, that we see, not ways that the Bible talks about killing this, this relationship and killing this covenant. So divorce is kind of like the death certificate, right? It's really just making official the sad death of a covenant relationship. 
Everybody knows this verse in Malachi 2.16. God says, I hate divorce. And he does. Because it, it crushes people. And it's just one more sign of how broken his world is and how hard human hearts have become. But in this world, sadly, hard hearts are a reality. And sin is a reality. So divorce is a reality. Don't you guys think the sermons have been just like so fun lately? It's like, oh, I love going to church. I feel so happy. Um, but you know what? There, there is some good news. There, there is some good news. I'm glad you stayed. Um, someday, Jesus is going to come back. And he is going to fully reconcile this world to God's kingdom. Amen. He's going to finish this rewiring job, right? He's going to finish recreating people and he's gonna make everything new. And he's gonna wipe away every tear. And there's gonna be no more sin and no more hard hearts and no more adultery or pride or selfishness or lust or hate. And in that world, there'll be no death of any kind. There will be no divorce. So what we can do now is thank Jesus for that promise and look forward to that day. But then the question, we got a few minutes to fill out here is, how are we supposed to survive until then, right? How are we supposed to survive until he does come back and, and fix everything so the divorce isn't even necessary? It's not even thought of. It's just like in the garden. Why would, why, it's like, why would anybody want to do that? Until then, how can we honor God? And how can we follow Jesus? And how can we kind of begin to live this life of his kingdom while we are still in this broken world? And specifically, in the case of marriage and divorce. So I got just a couple of ideas, okay? Uh, number one, while we're here as cit exiled citizens of heaven living here in this broken place, we should honor the covenant that God created. We should honor the covenant that God created. And part of the reason that divorce is so prevalent is that people take marriage so lightly. You know, the Pharisees ask about excuses for divorce. And Jesus answered them with a definition of marriage and covenant. It's, 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 it's a big deal. And so as Jesus' followers, we should honor the covenant that God created. First of all, we should honor the covenant before you make it. This, this marital connection, this, this union of a man and a woman where they become like one person, that's designed to be sacred and special and, and beautiful and holy. And the world has made it into just like a fun recreational activity, like going to the movies, you know? I like going to the movies. I'm even willing to pay 11 bucks to get in, right? Last week I went to the movies, I paid $8 for a bottle of water. And I bought a bag of popcorn, it was like $32, you know, I don't even know. But it's like it's worth it because that popcorn is so good. It's that, you gotta put like lots of salt and all that fake butter stuff. And it's like, it is it's so good. And so when I go to the movies, I've got, I've got some commitment, right? I'm, I'm committed, I got 11 bucks. No, I got 11, eight, 32, somebody help me. I got $51, right, worth of commitment to this thing. Right? I got some skin in the game here. I'm committed to this thing, but I'm not that committed. You know, if I don't like the movie, 
I'm not just going to sit there and be miserable for two hours, right? I'm going to take my popcorn, and I'm, and I'm, I'm going to go. And I, you know, I still get to enjoy the popcorn either way. So <laughs> this is such a good analogy. I'm so excited about this. <laughs> I, so follow me. The covenant of marriage, this joining together, it said, right? Two, becoming one. This is supposed to be more than $51 worth of commitment. This is, a, this is a commitment that you make to somebody and a commitment that you make to God, not to just eat the popcorn and leave. <laughs> right? It's, it's a covenant. It's a covenant. It's a, it's a promise. So you shouldn't just jump right in and start eating popcorn with just anybody. <laughs> And you're never going to be able to eat popcorn again without like, thinking about sex, you know. It's, I don't know. Popcorn always gets me in the mood. I can't say why. <laughs> Something to do with that sermon that day. So, is my face red? <laughs> you shouldn't make the legal covenant of marriage, and you shouldn't make the physical covenant until you're really ready to make that kind of covenant, that kind of of commitment, we should honor this thing before marriage. And you, you shouldn't make that commitment to just anybody. I mean, even when I spend 51 bucks, right, even if I'm gonna go to the movies, first I watch the trailer, right? First I check out Rotten Tomatoes and get the reviews, right? First I'm gonna ask my friends that if that's just due diligence, right? I'm gonna invest 51 bucks. If you're gonna make a real lifetime covenant, a true lifetime commitment, do some research, Right? Do, this, is, this is what courting and dating is supposed to be all about. Due diligence, right? Before you super glue yourself to this person, remember how much it would hurt to tear that apart. Is this really somebody that I can make that kind of commitment to? Is this really somebody that I think is capable of making that kind of commitment to me? Are they, are they Jesus followers? Honestly, first, because if they're not, their hearts are still hard because only Jesus can give us these new, soft, loving hearts. So it's, it, it, I don't know, guys, it's a big deal. We, we, we should honor the covenant that God created before you make it. And we should honor that covenant after you make it. You know, once you've made this covenant before God, honor it. And I don't just mean suck it up no matter how miserable it is. I mean, don't let it get miserable. You know, take, take it serious. Do some routine maintenance. You know, pray for each other and pray together and eat together and worship together and work together and communicate and go on a date night and, and be intentional about laughing together and encouraging each other and your sex life. And no, and no, going in, there are going to be issues. Because guess what? We still live in this broken world. And your spouse is still a work in progress. And so are you. So pain and Frustration and sin and boredom are going to happen from time to time in every single marriage, but we don't just call it dead because she burns the toast or because we find somebody prettier or because he peed on the toilet seat or because he got fat and hairy. Before, before, listen, before we call it dead, we should take some steps. If we're honoring this thing, we should take some steps to keep it alive. And my friend Robert Emmett had a great like, illustration of this one time. And here's what he said. Suppose you wake up one morning and you have a headache. And then you wake up the next morning and the headache is still there. 
You know what you don't do? You don't just say, oh, well, I had a good run and off to the morgue, right? <laughs> no, you, you do something, right? So what do you, you take some Advil, right? And if that cures it, praise Jesus, right? If that doesn't cure it, it's not off to the morgue, we escalate care, right? Now I'm gonna go see my doctor and she's gonna prescribe some therapy or medicine or something like that and if that cures it, praise Jesus. And if that doesn't, guess what? We escalate care. And now I'm gonna go see a specialist and they're gonna prescribe something and I'm gonna try that and if that cures it, praise Jesus. And if that doesn't, I'm gonna escalate care and now it's, I'm gonna go to a surgeon and now I'm gonna go to an oncologist and get chemo and I'm gonna try every available thing there is and if nothing, it's, if it will not be cured, now I go to the morgue, right? <laughs> but what do we do with marriage? One day we wake up and we've got a marriage ache, right? <laughs> oh, my marriage hurts, Ooh. right? And so the next day we wake up and it's still there. And too, often we just say, oh, well, we had a good run, right? It's off to the morgue. No, no, this is a lifetime covenant. It's more important than that. So what do we do? We, we treat it somehow, right? Pray about it. And if that cures it, praise Jesus. And if that doesn't, we escalate care. Let's read a book together about marriage. And if that cures it, praise Jesus. And if it doesn't, we escalate care. Let's join a life group about marriage. And if that cures it, praise Jesus. And if it doesn't, we escalate care. Let's get some counseling. If that cures it, praise Jesus. If it doesn't, we escalate care. Let's go to a marriage intensive retreat weekend. And then at some point, if we say we have exhausted every possible means of healing this thing, then, yeah, then we go to the morgue. But before we make this covenant, and after we make this covenant, we should honor this covenant that God has created. And since we do still live in a broken world of broken people and broken promises, number two, let's live in the grace he provides. Let's honor the commitment. Let's honor the commitment, but let's live in the grace that God provides. And if you're in a situation where sin has come in and your marriage is dying or your marriage is dead, Man, yeah, honor, you know, escalate care, right? Don't just blow it off. Honor the commitment. Don't, don't give up until there is no other option. But in this broken world, full of broken people and broken covenants, sometimes there is no other option. And if that's where you find yourself, man, I'm, I'm sorry. And, and I'm sad, and I know you're sad. And I, I promise you, God is sad because something he loves and something he created and something he calls holy is dead. So if that's where you find yourself right now, it's sad, but I wanna tell you that focusing on the failure of your spouse is fun. That's it. Now, focusing, there's more. Focusing on the failure of your spouse can be fun, but it's not super helpful. And focusing on your own failure isn't fun, and it isn't helpful. What's really fun and what's really helpful is instead focusing on the grace and the mercy and the redemption that Jesus died to give you. So if, if you find yourself in that state, you've, you're divorced or you're in the divorce mess or something like that, I'll give you some good news. There is life after the death 
of divorce. And this may be shocking news to some people, but the unforgivable sin is not divorce. The unforgivable sin is refusing the call of the Holy Spirit to accept the grace and the forgiveness and the acceptance and the love and the hope and the joy of Jesus in our marriage to him. In Romans 8, 1, if you're, if you're a Jesus follower, this is for, there is no condemnation for those of us that are in Jesus. There is no eternal death for those of us that are in Christ Jesus. So if you're a Christian but you have divorce in your life, or if you have lying in your life, or you have stealing in your life, or you have dishonoring your parents in your life, or any other sin, or any other hurt in your life, you are not condemned. And I think Jesus wants to say to you today, you don't have to live in anger, you don't have to live in fear, you don't have to live in shame anymore. Jesus specifically says, you know what, just throw all of that garbage on me. You can't do anything with it anyway. So just throw it on me. Matthew eleven twenty eight. Jesus said, come to me, all of you that are weary and are carrying heavy burdens, and I will give you, not judgment, I will give you not anxiety, I will give you not fear. He says, come to me if you're weary, if you're carrying something that's just too heavy for you, and I will give you rest. Maybe your spouse failed you, and maybe you failed too, but Jesus never fails, and his heart is never hard. And he loves you completely, and he loves you perfectly. And 2 Timothy 2 says he is faithful, even when we're not faithful. And I just think maybe today, maybe today is a day for somebody that's been anxious or angry or ashamed about a divorce to stop worrying and stop fighting and stop feeling condemned and just give it to Jesus and accept his love and his hope and the joy of the life that he died to give you. And that's what I want to pray about today. If there's somebody here, maybe there's one person, maybe there's a bunch of people that have been just holding on to this. Man, I feel like I'm not good enough because I've got divorced or I'm still angry because of this divorce or I'm ashamed of what I've done because of this divorce or I'm just anxious all the time and I can't get comfortable because of this divorce. Everything Jesus has told us in these last few weeks is, where's your heart, right? Let's start with that. Let's, let's work on that and then let's let, let's let that bleed out. So let's, man, if we want healing in our heart, there's nobody else that can do it but him. So let's just, let's just pray about that. If you're, if you're struggling with that, any, anything leftover residual effects or in the middle of or whatever, and you're tired of being mad or you're tired, tired of being ashamed or you're tired of being scared, let's just like intentionally take that off of your plate and put it on Jesus' plate. That's what he said to do. He said, come to me. If it's too much for you, if it's too heavy for you, just throw it on me. And I'll give you what you need. I'll give you rest. So let's pray about that. Jesus, first of all, thank you for this amazing, beautiful, wonderful thing that you created in marriage. Thank you for how, how awesome it is when it's awesome. 
And thank you for this, how beautiful it is to see a covenant relationship really happening and people that are really and truly one. It's, it's beautiful. I can see why it's so holy and sacred to you. So thank you for that gift. But Jesus, we also know that we live in this broken world and that sin here is a reality. And because of that, divorce is a reality. So I just pray right now that, man, you'll first of all help us to honor this covenant before we jump into it that you'll help us to honor it by really taking our time and, and, and waiting for the, the right time and the right commitment and the right person. And we'll honor this thing. And even after we're married, we'll honor it by taking care of it and doing the routine maintenance and loving each other and trying to solve it when it's not right. But Jesus, I also want to pray for those of us that have already experienced divorce or it's inevitable for us or right in the middle of it right now. And this is just us taking these feelings we have of anxiety or anger or frustration, or shame, or confusion. Man, we can't do anything with these feelings. And so we're going to follow your instructions. We are now going to take them off of our plate and put them onto theirs. We're going to trust you completely for healing, to provide for us, to protect for us, and to do a miracle in our lives. And if it's not the miracle of restoring our marriages, it'll be the miracle of showing us that you have an amazing life for us after our marriage. So thank you for being that good. Thank you for loving us that much. Thank you because even though we're broken and unfaithful, you are whole and complete and loving and faithful. Jesus, will you just remind us of your love for us? Remind us of how complete we are because of you. In your name, amen.